Hi, and welcome to Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. Today's episode will be us revisiting Aphrodite once more to talk about who this goddess is, what her origin stories are, and some major and minor events she was involved in. Um, I'm hoping, this is kind of like Aphrodite Part 1, but I'm hoping this episode does a little better justice of overall covering who she is, not trying to get into too many details of various, you know, birth origins besides the major ones, and not too many random stories of people she had kids with, because I don't think that's particularly productive, though it is interesting to learn she's the mother of a random Sicilian king. So let's just kind of dive into things. Uh, So who is Aphrodite? She's this Greek goddess of love um, and giver of beauty. That's kind of the domains she reigns over. Um, Her Roman counterpart is known to us as Venus. And yeah, she generally speaking has this idea of like the power of controlling desire over uh, mortals and even immortals as uh, has been mentioned and will be mentioned in this episode. Um, And that just kind of encapsulate what she does to some degree. There's a lot of things with like Greek goddesses will also have a lot of like fertility related things, um, which is pretty standard for a lot of ancient religions um and you know marriage uh, so adjacent ideas so that's kind of what we're seeing with her as well um the interesting thing about her though is her origin probably lies kind of eastward of greece uh so she perhaps comes from the phoenicians and maybe from through them from the sumerians um the respective goddesses would be astarte and ishtar um so she's kind of like thought to be that a lot of her ideas and her origins probably are influenced by them that's pretty common um there's like a thing i think where like there's a statue in one of the roman forums or fora i guess that was uh like associated with like the phoenician god melkart which was like equivalent to heracles or hercules to some degree so it's not super uncommon this type of thing um, so the symbols associated with her, um, you'll we'll generally see like the dove and the rose. Um, there's like a Latin phrase. I don't know if it's really a phrase, but mea columba um, gets used a fair bit to say like my dove. And it has this romantic aspect to them as doves do. The rose naturally, I think, in uh, most, I think, well, I don't want to say most of the world, but at least within America and the US, I feel like it's pretty common that the rose has a romantic indication and It is no short here with Aphrodite. Um, And there's this really cool thing about her um, with the idea of love and like her influence in that her Homeric hymn, these are like these sets of works that are hymns to various gods and describe various things depending on what the hymn wanted to do. And there's various theories for why they were written. Um, Talks of like how her aura, uh, you know, so a big thing about these gods is they exude kind of the general power they have at hand. Um, her aura of love and grace would cause like wolves and lions, these thought to be fierce animals to just kind of fawn over her. And I think that's really interesting. And they're like really harmless and just chilling. Um, and I think that's really cool. So let's talk about, you know, what are her Greek origin stories at hand? So there's two, um, generally speaking, that we'll talk about. Um, there's the Homeric tradition, and then there's the Hesiodic tradition. So according to Homer, she was the daughter of Zeus and Dione. Uh, Dione's this oceanid, which means she's a daughter of the Titan Oceanus. And this would fall in 
fine with the idea of her being influenced by Eastern deities. Um, so uh, one of them, uh, I think her name's like Inanna, um, is is called the Queen of the Heavens. Uh, and this makes this would be like an interesting connection. And this kind of follows both of Aphrodite's origin stories of Zeus and Dione. Uh, so their names are both associated with like the heavens, the roots of their names. So that's like why Zeus is so naturally the king of the sky is like it linguistically is what his name is. Is like, it's derived from the like proto Indo European word for heavens. So it makes sense. Um, and Dione, um, so like Zeus is really like Deus or like Zdeus, and you'll that's where you can kind of see the similar root between him and Dione. Um, so that's kind of the idea there. Uh, so pretty simple, just born from two deities, pretty common standard take. Um, according to Hesiod, though, um, he provides a story that's p- perhaps centered around a f- folk etymology, um, but it still follows the same idea of the heavens kind of association. So whether it's a folk etymology or not, I don't care too much um i think it's like a neat story so um this has come up in a previous episode when Cronos cut off the genitals of oranos his father who is the representation of the heavens a standard thing here in like greek myth is the male counterparts always the representation of the heavens and the woman the earth because it's like this idea of like women you know birth like children and stuff and that's kind of like the you know maternalness of earth hence mother nature you see now and like just even modern english so he cuts off these genitals he chucks them into the sea and this foam starts to form around them and eventually comes aphrodite um so the idea here in the story is that foam he's is saying is like afros or like i guess maybe it's apros uh is like this with like a aspiration on the p um is like a uh I is like foam so her name is like i derive from this idea of she was born from foam um and she gets carried by the west wind and is brought to these islands of kithara and cyprus which is where she gets her really common epithets citharian or kytharian and kyprian or cyprian um and so that's kind of like a basic thing of like oh this is why she has really big associations with these islands because that's where the story took her um in the story it goes on to talk about how she was received by the graces the personification of the graces go figure and was you know donned a bunch of beauty and whatnot um and yeah it's uh, pretty nice there's a picture a picture there's a painting of the birth of venus um that tries to like incorporate all of these details uh it's a really good piece you should check it out so besides these basic birth stories there are some notable things to her character um not real character and more of like character in the sense of like oh these are things about aphrodite one probably should know um so she was married to the god of the forge hephaestus which is a pretty stark contrast for the two deities um and she had a son named eros in greek or cupid um in latin was like the roman tradition uh so it's a little like interesting uh with cupid because you can kind of see this constant thing in mythology where the children that deities have um tend to be more specialized forms of them and more specialized forms of like their what they encompass so like you know rhea the mother titan of the main six original olympians is like this general mother goddess and then hera born from her 
become specifically over the like domain of marriage and stuff and then Hestia is more of the hearth and the home and then Demeter is more of the agriculture just the earth and it's bearing fruit in nature so you can see how they kind of specialize from her while still all generally holding association with just the general idea of mother nature and motherhood um so that's kind of happening here Eros you know Cupid and Eros are both more associated with like these ideas of real like sexual desire and not entirely just basic like oh you know I have a crush on this person um so that's kind of the slight distinction there uh between him and Aphrodite uh and I think yeah I again I just think that it's like a neat little thing to know about him and about Aphrodite so let's just kind of you know we've talked about you know what her origins are basic origin stories some key like little symbols associated with her this idea of who she is and what she encompasses as a goddess so we can talk about some stories to kind of paint more of a picture of you know how is she depicted in myth so in terms of early stories a uh, fun one i guess uh, recounted in homer's odyssey by the blind bard demodocus is the story of her and Ares. So a uh, thing to know in myth is Aphrodite kind of had an affair with Ares going on the whole time. Um, and I guess Helios caught them at one point. So being a good friend, he tells Hephaestus what's up and Hephaestus decides to get some revenge. You know, let's not talk things out. That's definitely not the healthy solution. Let's get some revenge. So he covers their bed in a super thin golden net and then leaves their place. So, you know, Aphrodite and Ares are like, oh, this is a moment where you can get it on. Um, so unbeknownst to them, while getting it on, a golden net falls on them and traps them, preventing them from leaving. And then Hephaestus being a completely, you know, uh, yeah, just, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe him. Uh, just interesting individual. Decided to invite all the gods to come laugh at the spectacle before them. Um, he definitely needs to go to therapy and figure some things out. Maybe some couple counseling. Um and yeah, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting early story of Aphrodite. Um, you'll see one in, well, not you will, but like there's one in the Iliad where she gets wounded while trying to save her son. And it's interesting to see this is how she kind of gets presented uh, constantly is this like, I guess like damsel in distress idea is kind of what happens. Um, it's cool though, uh, a thing associated with the stories in a later version um, by the author Lucian. He's like this Greek writer somewhere ad i don't really know um he wrote the this he said that this was the origin story for the rooster so apparently every time aries and aphrodite wanted to you know hook up he'd set up the soldier named a uh, soldier named electrion to warn him when the sun was rising because he was afraid helios would report them um one time electrion fell asleep at his post and this resulted in the whole story i just described so out of anger aries is like okay i'm going to turn you into a rooster as a punishment which is supposed to like make sense because it's like oh this is the punishment so he's reminded of it so that's why the rooster always wants to call it dawn um to signal the rising of the sun and i thought that's a fun story so in a little like follow-up to this story um this is a little more heliocentered but kind of reflects things about aphrodite she decided to like kind of retaliate against helios and caused him to fall in love with the persian princess leucothoe this story ends up being a major tragedy so this is a big thing like you should not cross aphrodite because she'll make you fall in love and then you'll hate everything as everything goes wrong so he falls in love with her um and then another lover of helios named clytie 
uh, reports Lukothoet to the Persian king Orkamas, which is Lukothoet's father, and Lukothoet gets buried alive. This is another big thing in myth is like gods will be into women and then women will get punished for it um, because they're like super sexist. And it's like, oh, there's no way you got with a god. You clearly are being, and you know, they have this idea of like, purity and and virginity and all that and they're like oh yeah i can't believe you did this and there's no way you slept with the gods so we're gonna kill you um and yeah aphrodite really tries does things through brutal heartbreak so maybe don't cross her um another story of hers that's i think like a big one to know about her um was another story from her homeric hymn so this describes a moment where the tables get turned on Aphrodite. Um, so she was known for mocking the other gods, for falling in love with mortals. And, you know, she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe y'all do that. That's so, like, lowly of you. Y'all are all so silly. And under the power of Zeus, tables get torn, turned on her. She's forced to experience the same thing. So she disguises herself as the daughter of this king of Phrygia. Phrygia is, like, vaguely roughly and, like, turkey area like modern day turkey area um and she disguises disguises herself as a daughter of otrius and visits the home of this humble herdsman uh, of royal descent on mount ida named anchises um anchises was definitely wary of the situation that some extremely beautiful woman came to him and is like trying to sleep with him he's like uh, are you sure you're not a goddess can you promise me you're not a goddess um because Men sleeping with goddesses in myth um, really rarely goes well. Um, that's just seemingly the theme at hand. Um, and I'm sure Anchises is aware because uh, someone in his like associated bloodline named Tithonus um, slept with the goddess Aeos, the goddess of the dawn. And what ended up happening was, is he ends up turning into a grasshopper because she forgets, she asks for immortality, but forgets to ask for, um, like immortality or sorry for immortality for eternal youth. Um, and yeah, so he turns into a grasshopper because he grows so old and she's like, Oh God, look at that guy. Um, so yeah, he's aware. Um, so she convinces him somehow eventually, they have sex, and when she when he wakes up, she's like standing there in full form and is like, "You cannot reveal who the mother of your kid is, or you'll be punished." Um, so Anchises obviously agrees because he doesn't want to be punished. He wants to live a good life and, uh, you know, chill till the end of his days. And then he gets super drunk and reveals it. Um, so Zeus thunderbolts him, uh, leaving him physically impaired. Uh, he can't really walk very well anymore. So besides all this, um, the product of the union was Aeneas. Aeneas ends up being in later traditions, the like eventual founder of Rome. And he's the main character of Virgil's epic, aptly named the Aeneid. So this is actually like a really big origin story for a very famous individual. Um, the associations like elsewhere of how much importance he gains and what he does comes later in different works. But it's interesting to see, you know, in Homeric Hymn, this is already something that's getting kind of promoted forth. And it shows an instance where kind of, you know, things were turned on Aphrodite. Um, another fun little story I want to share is about uh, how she can be a nice goddess to some and really only from a certain angle. 
Um, it's still kind of vengeful, though, to be clear. Like, I'm not saying it's okay what she did, but it's it's like vaguely like she's trying to help someone out in some way. Um, so there's this famous huntress named Atalanta, um, whose origin has been claimed by multiple regions. So that should already indicate, you know, multiple places are trying to be like, oh, where, where she came from. It's a pretty big deal. And her father wanted her to get married. Very natural thing in Greek myth. So Atalanta being the, like super fast, like very fast, was like, sure, like if my husband could beat me in a foot race and if they didn't, they were killed. Very interesting odds. Um, so if that happens for a while, most of the people who try to race her die because she's very fast. Um, and the suitor named Melanion, sometimes Hippomenes, prayed to Aphrodite asking for help. Aphrodite decided to agree because Atalanta was a like a devotee of Artemis, meaning she kind of like spurned love, though seemingly from the way the story's told, she didn't really spurn it, just wasn't really interested, didn't really care for it. Um, because like sometimes with like followers of Artemis, it's like very like stringent spurn of love, like no way it's happening. Um, uh, but it's not really how the Atalanta story seems to be presented. Um, but perhaps like a translation issue. So from a grove in Cyprus, Aphrodite brings these three golden apples to Hippomenes slash Melanion, and he uses them throughout the race to toss to the side, like super far away. So Atalanta veers off the course to grab them and then comes back. And despite doing this three times, mind you, um, he still barely ends up winning. Um, and they have a, like, you know, they have a whole after story. But that's kind of like an instance where Aphrodite is like willing to help someone, though it seems to also be a little vengeful, so... Take it with a grain of salt. Um, another big story I want to talk about, um, and then we'll go into one more little like minor story that still kind of shows you a lot about uh, gods in general and Aphrodite in a specific instance, and then we'll kind of wrap things up. So there once was a boy named Adonis. Um, his origin story is pretty cursed. Uh, he's birthed from a like myrrh tree um, after his mother, Mira, so very aptly named, managed to trick her father Cineros into having sex with her um so Aphrodite really liked Adonis he was like super beautiful and all that jazz and was like oh I want to take care of him and like have him be my lover because you know he's super attractive and whatnot so Adonis he was into hunting um Aphrodite obviously doesn't want the young lad in his teens at this point to hunt because it's dangerous and you know Adonis is like no nah, I'm a man I gotta hunt you know so Aphrodite's like, okay, I can't convince this kid. So like, sure. Um, but, but you have a condition. If an animal stands its ground, when you try to make a move, you know, like try to like intimidate the animal a bit, you have to run. Just like, please run. Um, and, you know, Adonis, like every other man in mythology who's warned by a deity is like, okay. And then doesn't take any of the advice in. This boar stands at ground. Adonis is like, all right, let me continue hunting this boar. And then he gets absolutely dumpstered um, and gored. And from the blood of his dying body sprung the anemone. Um, and so in some versions of the story, it's kind of suggested that the boar is actually Ares, who was jealous of Adonis and decided to kill him to remove him from Aphrodite. I think that's a fun little spin on the story. And I think it's like, a, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll buy it. Why not? Um but yeah, this is kind of like a thing, like more of like a tragedy she's involved in where, you know, she's like grieving and this is like a super th big thing that like this person she was really into got like absolutely smashed by a boar um, and she can't do much about it. She can't just like 
grant him immortality or revive him or anything like that um and it's like yeah it's a it's an interesting story though because the kid's like pretty i mean he's like a teen bro and aphrodite's aphrodite so a little strange but it is what it is so we'll move on from there to the final story of the day and we'll be talking about tyndarius king of sparta and his daughters so a big thing myth will teach you over and over again is when performing sacrifices do not forget any relevant god that should be named because they are important enough so tyndarius forgot aphrodite and the following happened um he has three daughters named clytemnestra helen and tamandra and because of their father's actions aphrodite caused all of them to leave their first husband for another man um the like thing is is like kind of having one like having multiple husbands or like leaving a husband for another husband's pretty like not a thing you should do it reflects poorly on you um i yeah i'm not here to try arguing with the greeks about this but that's just how they presented things right and so that's why this is a punishment of sorts and so uh so this like besides tamandra clytemnestra and helen have like many other reasons involved and oh my god my voice involved with why they made those decisions so the story's a little like Among Us, a little like sus in my opinion as to, you know, how valid it is that this was the origin behind why it happened. Like it, it yeah, I'll just get into them and then you'll see. So Clytemnestra ends up leaving her husband Agamemnon and murders him later with the help of her new man, I guess this. So the thing here is though, is with Clytemnestra, like sure she left Agamemnon for another guy while Agamemnon was away at Troy. Agamemnon, like before the war literally tricked her into sacrificing their daughter Iphigenia. So like I could definitely see why she would leave him. Um I feel like that's very justifiable grounds that if your husband's going to like kill your children, then like I mean, yeah, why would you not leave? Um so it's kind of hard to, you know, be like, "Oh yeah, it's really just Aphrodite's influence." Um Helen, as in Helen of Troy, left Menelaus for Paris when Paris snuck her out of Sparta while Menelaus was gone. But this is also kind of an issue because she eventually does go back. And at the same time, she was the reward that Aphrodite promised to Paris when she like gave him the golden apple or when he gave her the golden apple. And that's kind of like prompts the Trojan war. Uh, So like, it doesn't really have to be in line with um that kind of like overarching theme of like oh aphrodite's causing this all to happen i mean she did but like you know the original reason of ignoring the sacrifice was that i don't think that really had the same factor and then the final story is uh tamandra tamandra is a much more obscure name than clytemnestra and helen um so but her story is the only one where i'm like okay yeah i mean if you're to attribute to this to aphrodite i'll buy it she had a son by this guy this arcadian king named echimus and then just straight up ditched him for a dude named phileus and there's nothing really else to it. And this is one where I'd be like, okay, yeah, this is definitely something Aphrodite could have influenced. And it makes sense and it fits in with the story. Um, but you can see this is a good example of like how gods really like view themselves so highly and how they expect such respect and whatnot. And I think this is like a really nice way of showing it, even though it's not really that big of a like story in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, potentially as I presented um, there are perhaps better reasons for why those stories took place, but I think it's a good reflection of like, if you were to assume they all did occur because of her original actions, because Tendarius forgot to sacrifice her, makes sense. Um, 
and yeah, uh, that's kind of like, uh, it's a little abrupt, but those are kind of like the set of stories I wanted to talk about her. Uh, I think they kind of reflect overall pretty well the nature of Aphrodite and her influence. Um, it is always in some like conjunction with love. It can be used like positively in air quotes, negatively in air quotes, depending on the situation. And it really, I think the biggest thing is, is reflects the overarching influence that Aphrodite would naturally have is, uh, the Greeks, you know, they thought like love was like the supreme power over everything. So it makes sense that Aphrodite has such influence in so many different stories and like seems to drive people to decisions and you wouldn't expect um and like things that wouldn't really make much sense or like enable certain things or be involved in really big stories too because like she should be she's a really focal character depending on her birth story she may be the oldest of the deities right so it's like i think it really fits for who aphrodite is as an individual so that's all for today's episode of rambling about greek mythology um i hope you enjoyed it hope you learned a lot you have any concerns comments questions or whatnot there's always my email in the description otherwise i'll see you next time uh when i talk about apollo and kind of present the same little overview to kind of get an idea share some stories with him and just paint a picture for you of like who he is yeah with that uh thanks so much for listening and take care